All right, I've got the cancer sticks in for the uh, headphones. Uh, I've got a very exciting guest who is atypical for what you probably expect, but uh, August Horseman from Horseman Ranches, or uh, Horseman Cattle Company, I should say. There you go. So he's going to hop on, and we're going to talk about farming, and that'll be fun. So it won't be the usual, uh, trying to find my spot, it won't be the usual foot stuff per typical, but... I'm excited. I'm working on a new program, new stuff that'll be popping up soon. So I'll keep you updated about it. If you have any questions on that stuff, I'll do another live show. I'm going to try and get back into doing a live once a week so that I can uh, have a relatively consistent flow of that because I think people like that. But today we're talking about meat and cattle and horses and horsed men. So hopefully he'll join in. But since you're here, if anyone has any questions about life or feet or athleticism or whatever before August hops in, then let me know. You can put them in the little chat below. How do I do this? If that was part of your programs, do I have access to material? Yes. Can you see me? August. Good to see you, buddy. What's up? All right. So I just did a little intro, but uh, so I, we'll, we'll the audio of this, I'll strip it and put it into a podcast because sometimes people don't want to sit there and watch Instagram lives yeah. for whatever reason. Amazingly. Amazingly. But <laughs> anyway, so um, just for people coming in, we'll do a quick introduction, but I've just got a bunch of questions to ask you about your process and how you got uh -huh. to where you are. But just uh, for people that, you know, wouldn't, know who you are which is probably most people but that's fine because most people just aren't in the know they're not cool enough to be able to know the, the real the coolest rancher in the entire united states but tell them tell uh introduce yourself where you know where you're from what what, uh, what strikes your fancy yeah so august horseman owner operator horseman cattle company um i run on i'm a first generation full-time farmer on a third gen land base so i'm actually living sitting in my uh grandparents old farmhouse so the house i'm in was uh built in like 1890s the late 1890s wow. so i completely redid it um that's where i live so i live on the farm um and it's uh, a thousand acre cattle operation that uh i took regenerative Back in 2016, I started my regenerative journey. So I am, uh, what is that? Th six years, seven six, years. seven years in. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, so what, how old are you now? I am 29. I just turned 29 back in March. So did you grow up on the farm? And that's that first generation. What, how do you, like, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. So let's see. Well, my grandparents were school teachers, uh, from, born and raised in the area I'm in. I'm in Owensville, Missouri. So my grandparents were school teachers, started out here, met in Owensville, moved to okay. St. Louis, which is about an hour and a half east of here. Okay. Uh, huh. That's where my, my dad was born. He, a uh, long story, but ended up in the computer data center world. Okay. <laughs> and and yeah. I just came... I came, uh, grew up coming to, to the farm, but okay. when I, I was, I, my earliest farm memory was about three years old. 
when my I got my first cow, I remember where I was standing with her. My grandpa, we looked at his herd of 20 cows and uh, he, he said, you know, you can pick, pick one. And uh, so I picked, uh, I picked a heifer, right? Uh, and uh, so that started uh, well, what's my that? cow journey. Wait, so what's that? A heifer, me, or explain to me. Uh, yeah. Heifer is a female. So okay. it's uh, like a baby female, a virgin female. Okay. Um, my older cousins, they both picked bulls, right? Because girls were gross back when you were that young and bull. So their cattle industry was short lived, right? Because the bulls, you you don't keep every bull. Yeah. Cow herd. You you grow cow herd based off of cows. So I guess uh, I, I guess I knew what I was gonna do when I got older. Interesting. So I've been working on that ever since. So it was your grandfather's farm yep. that he started. Yep. Was that did he have any experience beforehand or did he just uh yeah, so I mean he he was born in nineteen twenty seven, right? So he grew up on a small dairy farm. Is he still alive? No. Oh, he's not. Yeah. Um, passed a few years ago as I just started the transit. Okay. But uh, so right, this so was he... kind of his retirement, right? Yeah. Was just playing with a couple cows. Oh. So okay. So so he, he only had twenty cows. I run. I've taken it from the twenty cows to two hundred and fifty cows. Um. So he grew up on a dairy farm, but didn't. Uh, do you say he was in he, computer science, uh, or was that different? That's... He was a, he was a high school math teacher. Okay. Or no, middle school math teacher. Uh, my dad went to my dad was in data uh, data centers. Okay. Built built and managed data centers. Okay, so you, but I guess it's not like you're alive for that. So you're born, you're 1994, because I'm I'm 30, so I just turned 30. So the uh, okay, so the same yep. age, which is fun because yep. it's, it's interesting for me to see that like trajectory of like a oh, very different lives but um yeah so you grew up he started off uh, how old so he retired and then got a few cows to the dairy farm uh so he was born in 27 on a farm oh, just down the farm road. dairy farm okay and then yeah he so, just gets in the itch and he was like i want to get back to farming yeah basically in the 70s so my dad would have been you know my dad was a, a school or elementary school right so then he He's like, okay, you know, we should buy a farm. So they were still school teachers in St. Louis, and then they bought a uh, the original farm where I'm at, 200 acres, uh, wow. just to go to on the weekends, I guess. Wow. So they they got like the American dream. They worked, they saved up money, they bought their you know, yep. 40 acres. Or so. Yep, both school teachers. Yep, exactly. The American dream, right? Yeah. So, um, so then. You're just around that. Did you go out to the, how much time do you spend out there as a kid? Because I'm just trying to figure out, like, how did you get comfortable with this idea? Because it's something that I, I could see moving towards is, is like, you know, there were talks about homesteading and just I, I think there's a lot of merit and value. And it's incredibly important to be part of the food system, especially with responsible animal husbandry. It's like it's so crucial for the land, for everything. And so I'm always just interested, like, how do you go from, you know, just like stepping like, hey, I want to do this and like really taking ownership of it and running, especially being 29. So, well, let's see. So I grew up to answer the first part. So I was born and raised majority of my life and, uh, you know, through school in uh, St. Louis County. So I was about an yeah. hour and a half away from the farm. 
I would spend every possible weekend coming to the farm with my grandparents. They still lived at the time. It wasn't until 2009 they actually moved out here full time. Mm. Uh, and so, like, I was 20 minutes from my grandparents' house. So every day off of school, every weekend, majority of the summer, I basically lived with my grandparents out here. Mm. I'm the oldest of uh, six. I have five younger brothers. Wow, all brothers? There's yeah. six brothers? <laughs> yeah. So, and we're all very different. Really? So, uh, and I, I guess I just, you know, that's just what I love. I, I love cows. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know how to explain it. I love farming. I love working seven days a week. I okay. just just love it but all right uh 2009 i think i would have been between a freshman and a sophomore year of high school yeah my pe we we took a trip out west to uh uh flathead lake up at, in montana okay on the way back home we went through jackson wyoming uh jackson hole i don't know yeah. if you've been up. and uh while we were in jackson hole we were leaving jackson hole my parents said uh, we're moving here. So I went to high school, actually, sophomore, junior, senior year in Wyoming. Really? And that's where I got hooked, connected with uh, the Walton Ranch, not related to the Sam, uh, like the Walmart, ones, yeah, yeah. but they were geologists. And so I got, you know, had to find cows, right? And so I've got hooked up with them and uh, started working there when I was in high school. So that's when I really started learning about kind of this bigger scale or learning about running more cows. Okay. Uh, um, and come to find out, like I have my youngest brother now is a freshman in high school and he works there now. So all my brothers, but one have all worked for the same place since. Interesting. Just as, okay. just as a job. But so that's kind of where, uh, what shaped me so started with going to the farm with my grandparents then and that was only 200 acres at the time with about 20 cows and then going west to really kind of figure out that's truly what I wanted to do mm -hmm. with you know 350 cows and then I went to University of Missouri so Mizzou studied animal science with the vet route because I always heard you couldn't make money being cat uh, you know with cows so I needed something else, but I'm not uh, smart enough to, to be a vet. So, okay. So then, I mean, there's so many things that they say you can't make money with, but I think if you're interested in something inherently and you apply any level of uh, ownership to it, you can, you can change that, that yep. tune. So 100%. you go back now, then you, you graduated and how long until after that did you go back to uh, your grandfather's okay. farm? So when I went to Mizzou, so I graduated high school in uh, spring of 2012. So then I, that fall, I went to Mizzou, and I actually bought my first set of cows that uh, February, February of 2013. Okay. And I started applying kind of everything that I had started learning at Mizzou, right? And started, and from what I learned out west, I started applying those. Practices to uh, to kind of my cow herd, right? 
opposite of what my grandpa was doing. Interesting. Okay, so a few questions. How much does a cow cost if you go buy one? I mean, I guess in and out. I mean, like right now we're at uh, it just depends on all classes. Like so, just a, like I will put you into a set of Longhorn pairs today for twelve hundred and fifty dollars. So, so a pair is a cars. cow. Yeah, a pair is a cow calf. Uh, oh, okay. So, but pairs can range from anywhere from twelve fifty all the way up to three thousand dollars currently. Really? Yeah. So it just it. I mean, there's so much depends. It depends on breed and weight and size and age of the calf and is the cow bred back. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's you wanted something that weighs 100 pounds or wanted something that weighs 1800 pounds if you wanted a female or a male if you wanted a bull or a steer i mean okay it's so then or the other question what do they teach you in animal like what are the, the mainstays of what they teach you in an animal science degree and like you know do you go with a specific uh i don't know yeah so the one? animal science degree right is is basically how to efficiently produce food, right? Okay. So what ration can you make cheaply, ration being feed, right? What Mm -hmm. ration can you feed them to cost-effectively produce a meat product, Mm -hmm. right? And, and, I mean, you're you're looking at kind of all conventional or – commodity type systems mm-hmm. right feeds such as corn soy uh bakery waste um you know distillers so it's it's not, not it's a it's a science right it's not animal husbandry which is what it mm-hmm. used to be interesting so, do, you, do you, when did that change so that's i got caught up in that right and once i graduated you know, got out of school thinking I was going to be a farmer, right? And it didn't work because I was, uh, my inputs and everything I was doing was I was either fighting nature with calving during cold, you know, during the winter months, which is to calve early so you can wean calves early or wean calves uh, earlier in the year to hit a certain market or, Mm. You know, there's all sorts of different sciences that take nature out of nature and grazing out of the equation. But nature trumps all. Yeah. Okay. So then you go out and then you, you uh, do you immediately go back and kind of take over your grandfather's ranch or is that? Well, so I went back, right? I, I, I went back every weekend during college because I had my own set mm-hmm. of cows different than his. I graduated knowing his cows were lower inputs. I mean, is the term. So his weren't being fed feed. His were grazing to an extent, not to the extent what I, you know, my grazing management now, but they were grazing in some sort of rotation. They weren't being fed feed. They were fairly do-it-yourself cows. So I went back to him basically telling him he'd been doing it wrong because I learned 
We need to be feeding these. We need yeah. to be calving in the winter time. We need to be using certain genetics and focusing on numbers and growth for this, that, the other. And uh, so, you know, I told them basically we were doing it wrong. The biggest regret I, I have in life. Interesting. And uh, so come to find out once I got out, I wasn't working, right? I remember when there was $7 in my farm account and I had a hundred cows or, you know, and I didn't know how I was going to buy feed for them. Wow. And so that's, that coupled with getting a farm, a farm job, uh, an off farm job, I started working at the, the soil and water. So in Missouri, each county has a soil and water office mm-hmm. and which is focused on helping farmers with uh, resource concerns and that resource concern being, you know, soil erosion or some sort of soil management. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I kind of started tying in all these regenerative practices. Okay. And uh, essentially, right, it's a government job, a lot of free time. I don't care what they say but there's a lot of free time. So I attended YouTube University with all the soil, you know, and I just got that loved going to my government job because I was, <laughs> I would watch a lot of YouTube and everybody at the office knows that. I mean, that's, I'm not, nothing to hide anymore. Yeah. But so I would, I would basically watch a ton of YouTube on these grazing on different grazing practices and soil health. And I mean, and it just, started making sense right why fight winter weather when calving when you could fight you know you're not going to beat nature Mm -hmm. um so let's move our breeding breeding season to calve with nature you know heat i'm not never going to beat the heat so why not breed animals that have heat tolerant genetics um Mm. you know all animal husbandry stuff not animal science so when you say it wasn't working, you're coming out, like, is that just, you're Fine. trying to get it? I, yeah. So, but the, the, does that just mean that you're like, you're spending? So, I mean, and this is the people want to have this like rose colored view of, of life as though it's just, oh, it's kumbaya and everything works out. But it's like, there's, there's, you know, there part of life going on is that like life consumes life and there's a, a necessary yeah. aspect of that. So is that meaning you're just not, so I'm assuming the economics are you buy a, a a pair and then you nurture them raise them and you, you get enough and then you write because do they do they introduce uh the steers and there are no the bulls they introduce bulls and they inseminate and then they like continue to grow that way yeah and, uh, yeah then you you sell eventually you grow them and you sell them with it you get to an appropriate age and then that's how you recoup money in a sense yeah so so typically in a cow calf scenario right you turn a bull out for let's say 60 days 60 to 90 days so the bull is with your cows for 60 to 90 days he has a bull yeah yeah he's get he works for 60 to 90 days and then he then he vacations the rest of the year hmm. so 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 then then 282 days later your your calves are going to be born uh, about you know roughly or- uh, depends okay. on, there's a few dependents, but gestation on a cow is 282 days. Then those cows will raise those calves for six months. Six 
months typically is when you, you will wean those calves. So, t so you'll separate them from mom and calves. Yeah, you know, the cow will then be preg checked. So check for pregnancy. If she's pregnant, she will continue to stay in the herd. If she is not pregnant, she typically gets sold to a sale barn. Okay. Then those calves will typically, if you're, you know, wean them for 45 days, 45 to 60 days. So basically you ensure that the calf is healthy and not missing mom per se, right? And it's grazing or eating grain or whatever. And then you'll sell those, mm -hmm. right? And so that is your one check for the years when you sell your calves. Hmm. Okay. So basically all you do is rack up expenses on that cow from, from the time you get your check till the time you get your check again. And then, okay. so, so it's what you spend your money on most of the time it's winter in the form of winter feed or added, added grain. Okay. Right. Or, or machinery. Machinery is another big one. Mm -hmm. So those costs that you rack up all go towards that one calf check. Is there, and I'm assuming that, and to, just for people here, you're, you're walking through people that are listening, you're walking through the traditional process in a sense, but there's also, you, you know, there's adaptations you've made in terms of yeah. uh, your process, but um, just people are clear on that. Cause I think people make assumptions really quick, uh, but yeah, there's this is the normal process. Yeah. yeah. This is typical, not mine. Yeah. So, but in that typical scenario, the, is there, is there like a, a threshold of, let's say you're, you're broke until you have a hundred cows and then like, you know, once you, or like, cause I imagine there's like a certain, is there a threshold that people have to get just numbers wise? Uh, yeah. I mean that just really depends on the breed conventional. Yeah. It's probably closer to the 200, okay. two to 300. Um, in that type of system majority if you look at like a, a, a state's bud like something that the university puts on for a cow calf budget it's normally in the red by a hundred bucks wow. no matter which which state you look at so it so that in that scenario you know it's if you had a thousand cows i mean you're still in the red right okay so, is that so Mostly because the, so my assumption in, in from doing a lot of this stuff is that the, it seems to me that one of the biggest problems, so to speak, is this kind of like un, unnaturally low cost of food in like fast food restaurants where you want to get yeah. a dollar, you know, dollar junior Whopper. And it's like, it doesn't cost that. Like, and then does, is there like a, is it kind of one of those things where there's a commodity level thing where it just gets pinched to the lowest price wins and then we care how it gets there? Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's all, it can all be tied back to the feed seed chemical companies, right? Mm. Which is basically big, you know, uh, and that's can go the, for, you know, kind of your viewers, like the pharmaceutical companies, uh, cheap food right? They, yeah, the lowest cost of production, right? We're a system founded on cheap food, but on the back end, how much supplements and, you know, doctor's visits yeah. and, you know, 
so yeah, it's kind of this vicious system we're in that I think got us there. I mean, I can't from the, me looking in on because my what I produce takes longer, right? Yeah. It costs more, but you know when I'm putting up fatty acid profiles that are better than wild salmon and things like that, you know, you know you're not seeing that from other conventional type produced proteins. I mean, like the, I, you know, it's like, do you want to pay for your health through doctors and supplements and vitamins at the pharmacy, or do you want to pay for it through food? I, I, I do have to say, so our uh, mutual acquaintance, Jake Ryan, is uh, Jake Steaks, which I'll put a link below. He's the one that he can, yep. it connects with like really solid farmers that are doing the right, doing, doing it right. And uh, he put me in touch. Well, basically like as part of one of the times he came and dropped off some meat and I purchased from him, he came out and I was just like, this horseman stuff is amazing. It's unbelievable. I, like, I know for the person that's listening to this, you probably think of oh, ground beef is ground beef, but I'm telling you ground beef is not ground beef. This, <laughs> like, there's a reason that we're doing this. Cause I just was blown away. I'm like this. So even uh, one of the first things I have is your ancestral blend, which is basically you take uh, awful like organ meat and you grind it up. Yep, liver. My girlfriend does not, not like. Yeah, she does not like liver. Does not like the taste of anything. She loves that stuff. Yeah. It is like yeah. I stopped fighting her to get her to eat raw liver, not raw liver, but just like uh, straight liver. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, all right, we're gonna have this stuff. It's so good. It's it, the taste is just it's it's just something else. Yeah, it's a so. a, a big hit for the you know moms or you know people that don't that recognize the value of getting organ meat in yeah. their lives and yeah so not to not to derail so you go back and you, you basically are you you have these i'm sure you go get your annual science degree and then they kind of pump you with all this confidence like oh you're gonna get this, you're gonna do this yeah. and it's very simple and you do it's like, i'm gonna know how so, to balance a ration right i'm gonna know how to take uh ethanol byproduct right distillers uh yeah. and corn right and mix it on my farm with my equipment to feed my cows yeah they just you're gonna know it all and so so basically you go back and you, you have all this confidence and then it's just it's it's probably harder to get the cows that aren't used to this on oh, like, was it hard to yeah. get the cows yeah they rejected a lot and then they're not growing yeah through through epigenetics right so the way if your cows gene like you have epigenetics i have epigenetics the way our genes kind of and it's been happening for generations right Mm -hmm. and that's kind of something that we can touch on like we're the lifestyle we're in our genes cannot we're evolving faster than what our what kind of our genes and can right Mm -hmm. so our sedimentary lifestyle when a generation or two ago did not have a sedimentary lifestyle right so our genes can't keep up with that yeah for People listening, epigenetics are basically the topical expression of your genes based off your decision. So there's some genetic predispositions we have or epigenetics. So let's just say you have a predisposition towards uh, epigenetics would be like you would look a certain way based off of your you know, exercise. You may have diseases that produce, like come out or don't come out based on what you do. So the same thing happens for cows as well. I'm the same, I'm assuming. Yeah. So in a system, but it happens faster, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. it only takes to like from birth to her for a cow's first calf is two years oh yeah right so oh yeah genes so though so it happens faster from a feed-based system Mm -hmm. right so we're we get down those roads quicker so 
you know, four or five generations ago when she started eating corn. And now, you know, she's kind of six generations in her great, 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 great granddaughter is relying on that corn or that feed input to rebreed and produce and stuff and stay in. Mm. So, yeah. So like when I switched to a grazing standpoint, my fallout was huge or the cows that did not make, make the cut, right. Mm. Couldn't handle either uh, fly pressure or the heat from moving my genetic, you know, from moving my calving window or mm. breed back because of, I was feeding them only grass. Right. Well, so when you say fly pressure, cause I, I, I follow you and I just, I just absolutely love like watching just the process and seeing, I mean, you post all kinds of things from like the quality of the grass, like the change between what happens when there's a rain versus it gets trampled down versus rest in the pressure. Mm -hmm. pasture. I mean, there's so many things you show that are just so instrumental for people who have like, there's this highway in California, highway five that goes right up the middle. And part of it goes bad past like one of the, probably one of the larger CAFOs, which is like the controlled animal feed organization. I don't forget what the exact acronym is. Uh, yeah. Confined animal feeding operation. Yeah. And it is just, it's just very heartbreaking because there's not a thing of grass. There's not green in sight. It's just dusty. There's just these yep. cows are stacked thousands of them. And it's just versus this where it's just like, it's just, it's amazing to see how you have this evolved process that is just so engaged. But I remember one time you let these, I think they were uh, bulls out of a, a cage and you know, the big long horns. They're like, all right, good work. But it was like just the flies on them. It was crazy. It was like a dozen of the flies. It was crazy. Yeah. It was, so is that what you mean by fly pressure? Yeah. So that, you know, all that, that kind of stuff causes stress to an animal, right? And when increased stress decreases kind of whole, you know, that ability to reproduce, right? Or Interesting. Affects. So to com combat that, I focus on heat tolerant genetics. So genetics that come from Southern climates. Mm -hmm. um, and actually it's kind of strange, but more heat genetic, uh, tolerant animals they actually have more hairs per square inch Interesting. it reflects the heat right I, yeah i guess and but with more hairs per square inch the flies don't like them because they can't bite through it interesting okay so so, so okay. yeah okay. so the the ancestor of i think it was like the, the bovine or I, I don't know what you what's the like latin term for cow or like bovine what what is the the official like you know the dogs are canine oh, what is uh, I have no um, idea. I think the ancestors to the modern day cow came from like the Nile area in Northern Africa. And so uh -huh. like, they've been around for a long time. But it is interesting, like there's so many different breeds and, and circumstances. There's certain things that I would just kind of assume would be like natural for any type of any animal, like even just an animal that are like dealing with flies, dealing with just heat and stuff. But I guess they're different kind of climates. So do you find so? When it comes to like choosing a breed and a type, because you've always been in that kind of uh, Missouri, did your, I guess, I guess the first question is, did your grandfather not choose based off of like, did he know enough to choose on heat tolerant things? Or is that very well known? I mean, that's really just starting to come out based off of observation, right? There's mm. more, more stuff is being learned now just by stepping back and just observing, right? Just the power of observation and what I do in working with nature, I mean, that that is probably the biggest, biggest tool uh, that has helped me progress, right, is just noticing what's happening. 
Um, how much of just just in that? So when you're saying observation, is that like, do you have people or is it like farmer talk or farmer TikTok or like farmer Instagram that are people that are like also kind of because you're young, you're using you, you have a different set of perspectives that go into this thing and you're not you're inheriting it, but not necessarily inheriting like five generations of this is how I've always done it. You know, yeah. Like, is it your observation you're kind of just paying attention or is there like online resources for someone or is that really just it's it's all of the above right so um yeah so so first um i'll say start with my biggest unfair advantage in what i do is that i am first generation Mm. right and i don't have somebody above me telling me what will and won't work Mm -hmm. so so then that allows me to make all my decisions based off of what I observe. Mm-hmm. Um, second, there is, you know, different groups and schools on this soil health journey um, that I've connected with. Uh, I've attended the Soil Health Academy twice, which is put on by uh, Al- Dr. Alan Williams and Gabe Brown. So probably the two biggest names in regenerative agriculture. So I, you know, I've attended two of their schools. I'm on Facebook, um, a lot of information there. Mm-hmm. It's, and then now I'm in, you know, just through my own network. I mean, from being in it for as long as I've been, I mean, six and 16 doesn't really seem like that long of a time, That's, but. Well, it's, seven years, man. Yeah. That's, it, but in the world of regenerative agriculture, I mean, there has been a lot happening, you know, because so, it's all. Do you mean so like new? Yeah, you mean like generally globally, the like the 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 concept, the the school of thought, like everything, like publicly, so to speak, not just necessarily. Because all right, there's two questions from that. You you make this shift over, and you know the cow. Well, I, I guess I should have the first question with your when you you go and you're like it's not working so you start doing this research like how quick of a transition was it in 2016 so i guess you had four years kind of or two maybe two or three or four years no i guess you went right away so how long did you try the traditional old school method before uh realizing you make a shift to uh regenerative and then you know how long did it take that process okay so I was around the traditional method even back when I was in high school, not yeah. making management decisions, but just operating in it. I mean, calving cows in Wyoming in March when it could ha- when it could snow three feet, right? Wow. So, I mean, we did it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was around it then, coming out, you know 2012 cows at mizzou then going on to uh let's see i ended up going to 16 that way right Mm -hmm. with that with that mindset and then uh so then making that transition in 16. um okay so then everything since then right 16 i mean something new happens every year like like i see something change every year first it started with spot i noticed more spiders right really yeah well i mean i mean (laughs) my girlfriend would absolutely be like all right we're we're done yeah (laughs) what kind of spiders Um, just like well 
So like you could go out in the early mornings and every, you know, across the landscape, all the grass would be covered in spider webs, right? Is that because predatory insects coming out? Yeah, predatory insects, right? Spiders are predatory insects. So I was just promoting a spot for those spiders, right? I had more plants, more habitat for those spiders. Well, face flies, right? Those are flies that just live on the faces of the cows. Every oh, time those God. Yeah. Every time the cow would go in for a bite to eat, it would, it would cat all the flies, you know, the flies would get caught in the, in the webs. Oh. Uh, so, okay. Right? Yeah. You start working with nature, right? So now I took a guy out today, right before you called, he came in, he drove three hours to pick up ancestral blend, took him on a farm tour. My... Uh, my residential flock of birds that lives with my cow herd, right, in a couple hundreds were flying around. You know, my dragonflies had come out for the evening to fly, right? So that's all stuff that has started showing up when, yes. when you start working with nature. Observations. Yeah, that's amazing because it really is cool because it starts with a calf. But that's what I think is so valuable. You know, people... There's this very one-sided expose about how animal, you know, eating animals, all this stuff is bad. But if you look at the cow, it's like the single most valuable unit for repurposing or, re, re, or healing the environment. Because the cow not only provides a source of food, but it also, it's like in itself is consuming. It's the old carbon and like the, the, the grass that now is, you know, it's, it's, it's dunking, yeah. it's peeing, it's trotting it down, it's making its own fertilizer, and it's also supporting this, e this ecosystem around. It's, it's an unbelievable thing that it's just like, I, you couldn't put a more effective, like, if you, if you wanna have like a handful of things, uh, go fix this land, it's a bunch of cows. And not only do they, the back end, they also provide the incredible nutrition for humans. It's amazing. Yeah, prop, a bunch of properly managed cows. I should say that, that. absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, that's exactly right, right? The buffalo herds, according to records, right, with the amount of millions of buffaloes, right, mm -hmm. our cow, the, the country's cow herd, I don't even think comes close to the number of buffalo we had. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean. You mean buffalo we had, uh, like, at one point yeah, in general, like. Uh, yeah, 1800s, right? Yeah. Um, now there's talk, you know, you could make a devil, well, you can make a thing like, well, the only reason that was buffalo increased was because all the diseases that killed the half, majority of the Native American population, and then it went out of whatever. But besides that, it was doing it when we yeah. started recording. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, back to kind of university, right? There's the carbon cycle and water cycle, you know, and plant uh, cycles, right? There's all these cycles that all work together, but you didn't really talk about those mm. at the at school right so you know that's the thing right and you just work with nature right it's a cycle it's it's self-healing self-regulating i think ray archuleta says that the soil guy you know uh fat let's see kiss the ground uh that's mm -hmm. on netflix there a movie mm. you can find but you know self-healing self-regulating and just with proper management, the healing that I've seen has just been crazy. Uh, 
I've been was fortunate enough just two weeks ago. No, last week I hosted uh, an understanding ag event. So one of the best regenerative companies in the in the world, right? They, they go all over the country, all over the all over the world. Mm -hmm. uh, consult for Kellogg's and and et cetera, taking those farms regenerative, right? They they just came out and hosted a hosted an event here. We had over ninety people from from three or four different states out out at the farm here for uh just learning okay. which is really cool to see so then how long would you say it took for the the, the soil and everything to respond to like the, the changes because i mean well i guess what was let's just say you went what was like the first you made the decision the first thing you went on did it's like you know is that yes. first yeah so it's uh i did everything just like decided i was going to do it right it just cold turkeyed it no half rates or no nothing so first thing i did was we stopped fertilizing so interesting and so synthetic fertilizer np and k right would be applied and it still is applied uh to other farms but not we don't use any of it but uh you know the, those synthetic fertilizers we quit we quit applying it right well that's set our grass production back i mean and we're still building our grass production because we're trying to get our soils right but that the the from what i've hear here we know more about space than we know about soil health so so when we took away those uh that np and k like the the grass in the spring right the spring flush in mm -hmm. recent years, you know, a shot of nitrogen would be applied at the spring flush to get a flash of growth. Well, when you take that away and the grass just waits because it knows you're going to feed it, uh, right? Okay. So, and so it won't grow. It doesn't really grow like it should because it hasn't, hasn't gotten that feed, right? So it's just mm -hmm. waiting there like we know you're going to feed us. But you haven't yet, so we're just going to wait till you do. Interesting. So my grass is adjusted to that, right? To not having like we're we're hitting that now, where now I'm turning out my cows to graze. Turning out, I'm grazing green grass probably two to three weeks before my neighbors are. Interesting. Okay. So, the um, I had this is a uh, several months ago, but it was um. I was at a little mushroom trip out in the backyard and I just remember having this moment where I looked down at the soil and it was just, it just, I just, I, I pinched it between my fingers and I was like, this just feels, it feels unhealthy. It just felt dry. It felt parched. It's like, mm -hmm. do, do, have you gotten a sense for like, I, I was like, it also made me feel sad because I feel like if you look at, you know, the archetype of the Bible, it's like Adam is you know, to, to till and work the ground. It's like man's role is to go and like, there's this idea of like the connection between man and soil is just so mm -hmm. deep and spiritual. It's like, did, did you have this moment of like looking at the soil and like it's just something doesn't feel right about this you know like this or i i didn't have that but i've had the moments where you're out there you know i do a thirsty thursday post right most of the time i'm with my cows and like you're you get out there and you can be with your cows 
and you're with your, you know, all your life and you are like, okay, this is, this is what it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I have that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's this is, this is the right way. Um, when I started, I was so focused on just trying to make up for what I was doing wrong that like, I didn't, didn't even really pay much attention of what it was. To, I just jumped in mm. without that. But now, you know, getting to where I am seven years into this journey, deer everywhere, turkeys, quail, uh, et cetera, you know, now, now you know, seeing native plants. I mean, that's, that's where we are right now. So it's insects, wildlife. Now we're on the native plants coming from the latent seed bank. So the old seed bank that's just been laying there as we've been grazing has really started to express itself in the last year to two. Interesting. So uh, two questions off that. Um, I know that I listened to the Will Harris, who's the uh, the guy, the owner of um, White Oak Pastures down in Georgia. Uh, he was on Joe Rogan yep. months ago, maybe last year. I just thought, I don't oh, love yeah. that one. He's got such a great voice. <laughs> Joe, yeah. you see, nature is not a pure. You know, it's just great. <clears throat> But he talks about this, um, they had, I think it was crabgrass or some of those invasive species. Have you noticed anything that like you typically would have used? I don't know, just like, have you noticed any, any problems? Kind of like it's like, cause nature is, is a kind of competitive environment. You know, have you noticed any like hardships yeah. and difficulties? Oh yeah. There's, there's stuff that, uh, are invasives, right? Cerecia lespedes is one of ours. Uh, it's, uh, in the legume family, oh, there's okay. multiflora rose bushes uh both things were introduced by the by the state whether one was mdc missouri department of conservation most of our invasives have come from government really autumn olive yeah and uh very invasive very and uh so like yeah we we have that kind of stuff um mainly just focusing on getting our cows to eat it i mean we do brush hog so brush hogging is taking like a supersized lawnmower and we'll, i'll graze it with cows and then basically i have a i mean they make them up to 20 feet but i have a 10 foot mower i pull behind our tractor so i graze then i will kind of focus on cutting those species um locust uh okay. it's a tree oh okay uh, not the not the uh, plague of locust no, no, not the bugs yet. Not yet. But, uh, but the trees, yeah, uh, they, they're really, they got really big thorns on it. Kind of like the, really? the trees, the giraffes, eat, you know, that have the giant thorns on it out yeah. in Africa. So it's like that. I mean, there'll be trees that have six inches long thorns, really hard on tractor tires and four wheeler tires and stuff. Uh, you know, if you run over one and you don't see it. Um, so, but like they fix nitrogen so then it's like you start focusing on things like that right you gotta and the cows eat them Mm. they eat the pods sheep like the pods birds can nest in them so then you start like okay do we really need to cut it multiflora rose japanese beetles have been really eating the multiflora rose lately so that keeps them from eating the plants i don't want them to eat good point too so you kind of see this it's interesting because i, I like the which the word you used earlier this idea of observation but like the observation you have 
as though you're watching it, an entity in and of itself mm-hmm. like come back to life gives you in like and kind of an anthropomorphization of it but like you could just see this thing doing like there's an intelligence too which is fascinating to consider yeah yeah and it's just i mean just the power of not only observation but then i always say ob- observe and then you got to absorb the goods mm-hmm. and the bads what are you looking at what are you seeing i take a lot of pictures what's what's happening after you know you got four inches of rain your cows stomp a paddock to the and it looks like an absolute mud mess you know Mm -hmm. what what happened after that well so we took this i had that happen this year we had three inches of rain uh heard a cows on it stomped it to it was mud took a picture 45 days when i re was regrazing it at, at a foot tall then i saw that picture yeah that was impressive okay and then i posted one today uh with 120 days rest third graze really on on my story that's the same pasture so it got three grazings out of it uh, 120 days of rest from the previous graze so my soil aggregation so was really good in the top layer the top three to four inches but when you got below it, it, uh, it kind of was a hard pan, you know, or the aggregation stopped and the soil got real hard. Hmm. So now I got to focus on roots that will tap into that and focus on, you know, creating a system to get those roots to go deeper. Hmm. And that might be 365 days of rest. I don't know. Interesting. But, okay. <laughs> what, um, they ob- observe and absorb. Yeah. What? Uh, so you you mentioned your neighbors. I'm assuming are they more on the conventional method, or have they shifted over? Yeah, for for the most part. I mean, they a lot of people will move cows to different paddocks or pastures. You see it a lot out west, where it's kind of you have a spring range or a summer range and a winter range, right? Where you just turn your cows out and you let them go. And then you gather them in the fall, and then they go to their winter pasture. So Missouri, we see more paddocks where, you know, they'll move them around, but not to the extent or with the observation that I'm putting towards or the intentions of soil health, simply because I think it's a lack of knowledge, right? Mm. Okay. So, but do, do you have, oh, I guess if you have a thousand acre place, I mean, how many people, neighbors do you have? People notice. Yeah. Right. Uh, how many neighbors do I have? Um, only two that have cows next to me. Three. Okay. So it's not many per se that have cows, but I mean, there's this thing in agriculture where you start to think differently and, and it's different different right people feel attacked it's a whole Mm. it's a weird mindset right i'm 29 right i'm my you know two two farms away could be a guy that's 29 farming with his dad who's 45 or 50 maybe even 60 who's farming with their grandpa who's 80 and who's Mm. calling the shots 
the 80 yeah. year old, not the, so it'll completely skip that middle generation. Really? You know, pretty much. Right. If the dad, if the grandpa is, let's say he's 70 farming with his son, that's uh, 45 or 50, mm. you know, 45. And he's farming with his kid. That's 20. I mean, if they're going to right, all, if, you know, if the grandpa is going to go for another 20, 20 years and be yeah. 90, the dad's probably, you know, that's, so that's the thing. It's, there's this thing where when you start thinking differently and you start being judged, mm-hmm. right? I'm like, I don't, I don't really talk to my neighbors about what I do. I'll answer questions when they ask, but I am the odd guy. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. the strange guy. Okay. So I imagine that because I feel like even though I, I, well, I feel like most people have little to no idea whatsoever about farming. Um, in general, just as a, as a practice, but it seems like it's one of those things that because it's such a wait to like, you know, you're already in the wait till you're my age. What do you, it's like, there's so much of this, like, you don't understand what it's like to have five, 10, 15, mm-hmm. 20, you know, son, I got cows older than you. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, like, exactly. I've been and, doing this, you know, longer than your parents have been alive. Right. Yeah. So that's, um, oh, yeah. Well, I guess I'd say what keeps me going is right. There is no cap on improving your soil. Yeah. Right. So the only thing that's going to keep happening is I'm going to be my farm, my cow herd will be more resilient to what nature has to offer Mm -hmm. droughts and wet, you know, weather. So, and, and pricing, right. The price Mm -hmm. of, feed, seed, chemicals, fertility, right? If I don't have any of those deals, my business becomes stronger. Yeah. So uh, I want to ask about the economics of some of that, but I do, I want to, I think, I don't think I tied this off earlier. Well, so when you came back and made the switch to, from like a traditional corn and grain feed to the grass fed, you, you said it was hard. I'm assuming, was it hard? because you're at the time your cows were used to that so they didn't really know they had the bacteria ready for that so it was hard in the sense that the cows just couldn't handle it right so Mm. you can't with a cow being bred for two gestation being 282 days right if Mm. she is not bred at preg checking she has and, and that happens in october and your bulls go out in May, that means she is doing nothing. She is work basically, essentially work, not working for you from October to the next time she gets bred, right? Mm. So you really can't keep her to feed her. So you got to sell her mm-hmm. per, per se, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I was losing a lot of cows that just weren't breeding. Mm-hmm. You know, 50% of really? my herd was being lost. Yeah, where in where that is 70, 80% really is kind of on the borderline of a non-acceptable pregnancy rate. Really? Okay. Yeah. So most people are shooting, most people are targeting that, or bre- uh, that 90 to 93% pregnancy mm-hmm. rate. So of... Uh, 
100 cows, 93 breed, you sell seven. I was more closer to of 100 cows, 50 would breed, and I'd have to sell 50. Wow, okay. And an open cow, an open cow is the least valuable thing. Oh, you mean without a calf? A Why calf, is that? Yeah. I guess because of the time, right, the time it takes. You know, you have to sit, you have to, why, for one, why is she open? Is there something wrong with her reproduction? Yeah. Or is she thin? Or in my case, it was more like, yeah, she she didn't have the groceries to to, to breed, right? So then there's yeah. the cost of getting her back to the reproduction. Then it's getting her bread. Well, then from the day she's bred, then you have another 282 days of feeding her. Mm-hmm. So you're looking so, potentially a year. Wow. Okay. And so basically you were at that point and then you're like, well, okay, I'll miss for that. How many, so I want to do the economics, but I'll ask the, the, uh, the other question, which is, do you find just, there's, um, there's a guy up here in a farmer's market and there's a farmer chef who I like, he's got an amazing product and it's just, it's so good. But, you know, I think there's, there's also like, especially when you make a, business out of anything and especially when you are able to clean things up so that you go in the butcher shop and everything looks perfect and nice and sweet and one of the things i do love about with being with jake is uh, like when jake comes in and delivers some of the stuff is like you give a beef arm and there's just like 15 different things i didn't even know there was a cut but it's like there's so much more that you go in and i over the last few years i've spent a lot of time i get you know the beef testicle and liver and kidney and thymus and heart and spleen and tongue and making the bone marrow you know and tallow so like there's so many other things mm-hmm. to go into let's say what an animal could provide, but I think that gets sometimes like, what I found is I got more into understanding like the nose of tail nutrition and just even visiting farmers and, and just getting involved in some of the, just like a little bit a step closer to the entire process is there's a lot more of a, there's, there's an experience that goes on. And I think a lot of times people think like they just want to make an impossible burger and it looks like the thing, but it tastes like it or whatever, or it's just, yeah. a, it's product or it's this. It's like, did you have, you know, was it hard for you in a sense emotionally kind of separate the, like the experience of like being out with your girls on, on Thursday. And then also knowing that like, there's a level of, you know, like there will be slaughtered and consumed at some point. Like, you know, how, what's the, was that, what's the process like for you? Of going from owning these cows to, to it. Hey, to I mean, it's just one of those, things. I know that's one of those things that people, it, well, the, the reason I brought up Farmer Shep is he puts a lot of posts on Instagram. Like he, he's very insightful. He thinks he's very like involved in the process. And I think yeah. people have this like binary thing of like, how could you kill this thing? If you like, you know, that it's like, well, there, there's more to it. And the experience of this whole thing that if you've done the job of animal husbandry, well, then the, like there's a lot bigger pieces than just, Oh, you killed the cow. It's like, well, it's not going to live forever. But I just, I, I would love for you to contextualize that and personalize that with your experience. Cause I just think that, People either completely put it out of their head, like, I don't want to, if it looks like a cow, like, I want to ground up in a perfect little patty. It's like, that's not how it was. Yeah. Or they just think it's this, you know, capos. That's, they, they don't have, they don't see you. Yeah. So, I mean, basically how I look at it, right, I'm basically was in ta- tasked with this uh, job of taking care of the land, mm. right? Mm. So through the land, I need to use, use cattle to like sequester carbon, increase water infiltration. Yeah. That is done through livestock, mm-hmm. right? I can't carry every cow. 
there's a lot of work, you know, on nutrient density coming from a cow grazing all these different variety of plants in the regenerative manner, mm -hmm. right? So now I'm producing this ultra healthy nutrient dense product, right? And then I'm going on to to feed people a great product that is full of nutrients mm -hmm. for for them. I mean, so I look at, at more of a service to everybody, right? Yeah. That, uh, you know, I'm here sequestering carbon, you know, doing kind of, uh, you know, I don't carbon sequestration work, whatever you want to call yeah. it, you know, working on the environment and then also being able to keep people healthy. Yeah. I really, I really like that because it's almost like, you know, it's ironic because I think the focus on the animal is just, it, it's, it's arbitrarily picking a side because it's like, okay, I'm not going to get upset because the flies get eaten by the spiders, you know, like there's yeah. thousands of them. They go into like, I can't get it. Because the same people who get upset about that will completely overlook the fact that, like, all right, well, no, you know, no non-animal based diet is possible without monocrop agriculture. And how many thousands, if not millions of animals get killed, displaced in the process of that huge petrochemical industry. It's like, exactly. so, but what I, I really exactly, like, and what I really like is, is the way you juxtapose that is like, you are a steward of nature and the cow, just like all animals are in a sense, like, the only difference between, I guess, you'd have to go like a Judeo-Christian version of like what makes humans different from other animals, but in the capacity to like think future tense and to create a, to like garden in a sense to take care of that is like your responsibility is the thousand acres of land, not necessarily the 200 head of cattle. That's a yeah. fascinating, I really like that because I think if people thought about that and say, you know, even even if you just see high your house, like you're, you're like, you know, whatever, half quarter acre, half anchor, two acre lot. It's just like your responsibility is to that land underneath you, not necessarily to like, you know, have the nicest TV in a sense or, or anyway, even mm -hmm. if you just, even if you just farmed carrots, your responsibility is to that land. And, you know, it's like that, I think is a relationship that's valuable. That's beautiful. That's well said. Yeah. I will add, I don't, that's probably going to make people mad. If you're driving driving an electric car with turf backyard, you aren't uh, you, you got something messed up, right? I mean yeah. that's the, I mean with water when it comes to water infiltration and floods and and cl climate, right? A green living plant is capturing solar. A parking lot and concrete is not. Well, and the other th uh, thing too is if you think about all the 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 elements required for the battery. Where does the electricity come from? It's like, yeah. the hard part is that there's this easy way to look at things like uh, carbon fossils and, you know, animal husbandry. Like the farming is like, oh, that's just so outdated and antiquated. It's like says people who are in the city have never been to a farm before. And yet the mm -hmm. quasi solutions are literally just, well, we're gonna do this thing that seems nice because I don't have to have emissions coming out of my car. But it's also like I'm just hiding. I'm, I'm kicking it one one degree away from where I can see it. And it's just it's such a it's it's a, it's a lost perception there. Yeah, yeah, and you know the the vegan kind of mindset that no animals are harmed. I mean that is that's a messed up thought. It's, I mean, it's unrealistic. The amount of yeah, and the amount of spray that goes and chemical fertilizer that gets applied to 
like some of these fields that are producing tofu, soybean, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not going to find a a home of rabbits out in the middle of it, right? Yeah. You're going to find rabbits in my pasture. I, uh, so I live over in in Northern California right now. And, uh, there's, it's just, it's, you know, uh, hopping a skip to farmland, literally any, I could throw a rock and, you know, Mm -hmm. I throw rocks a few times. I'm not that good, but like, you know, there is just, (laughs) but it's 99% of the almonds for the country are grown here. And yet almonds are one of the top three in terms of total tonnage of glyphosate usage in the, like for all the U S produced crops. It's like, I, I think about that a lot. I'm like, you're telling me that they spray this stuff like a hundred yards away and it's not magically getting like, but that's one of those things yeah. you drive through these, these pastures and it's almond trees, walnut trees, olive trees, uh, lemons, whatever. And it's row after row after row after row. And I noticed the other day there is the trees were still green, but everything underneath it had like all like the low lying stuff. Typically it's like very well maintained, but it was just mm-hmm. completely uh, dead as in like it was yellow. And I don't know if that's because it just died out because it hasn't rained in a while because California or like, I know they spray these aren't organic pastures. So like, but it's this weird, eerie feeling because I've, I've, you know, they every, as everybody does, I'm like, I parked legally and ran out in the middle of one. I was like, there's this ominous feeling of just quiet that you get when you're out there. There is nothing. There's no, there's not like animals. There's no, you don't, but it's so barren and flat, even though there's nothing but trees. It's really weird. Yeah. The, so, let's see, uh, there's a, so tell me about the, uh, the economics and stuff. So obviously when you're uh, changing the product you produce, you charge more and rightly so, but you know, what's annoying about this is because I've been buying either uh, from farmer's markets or, you know, also supplement with something, but like grass fed, grass finish, more of like a regenerative when I can I'm used to paying more for that. I mean, you know, anywhere for like a, a steak, $18, $20, or something like that. A pound of ground beef is anywhere from eight to $12. Like, you know, like that's, and it's ironic because it's like, as the, you know, inflation things have increased the cost of regular food, people are complaining, it's, it's the cost of the lowest level of stuff. But what's the economics been like for you? Have you been more successful now that you made the switch over to uh, regenerative farming and updated your price? Is it pretty much the same margins? I mean, um, yeah, so how that worked, um, while switching to my meat business, uh, was just added to, to, you know, try to capture some of the value of my work. Right. Mm. Um, and then, uh, let's see. So it seems like, right. Since it's a less of an in less input based, it should be cheaper but you increase time yeah. right and that's the biggest thing so what a feed yard like there's no doubt that a feed yard is way more efficient at taking one animal from start to finish uh than i am right mm-hmm. you know they're taking a calf from uh, from the day he's born if he goes through the com- conventional system through a yard in 15 months, he will be hanging on a rail. Hanging on the rail is, you know, when he goes through a packing house and yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. you'd sell beef on the rail. It'll take uh, a, a steer born on my farm almost 36 months, 30 mm-hmm. to 36 months. So we're talking years 
of difference there. So there's an opportunity, right? There's opportunities of doing stuff differently uh, or like having a cow or background. You know, there's different opportunity costs that I have to consider with that. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to poultry, I've had, you know, I used to raise poultry uh, in pork. So poultry, I would do broilers, so meat birds or egg yeah. layers. Um, from the pasture-raised broiler, so a meat chicken, outside, what it would take me eight weeks to produce a four-pound chicken. It would take Tyson in a house four weeks, so half the time, mm -hmm. half the feed. So that's kind of where it's the time that it's it's coming yeah. and there's there's a skill to it right i mean i'm getting better i'm nowhere near the best but just the skill and education of learning the soil health and and going down those principles and impl implementing them i mean that's uh, uh so agriculture is what like is it one to three percent produce the food for everybody Something like that for farmers. Yeah, yeah for farmers. Well, there's even even smaller percent of regenerative farmers. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, just, I guess, part of kind of being a boutique for now. Well, I think it's important that people hear that because there's this, you know, when you look, it's, 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 I really do think it is like the Burger King effect or the McDonald's effect where like they've trained people First off, there's lost leaders, like they charge, however, they charge the same for a thing of French fries as they do for a burger. It's like, there's lost leaders where they, they sell the, the burger at a loss because they make up elsewhere on like soda and stuff like that, none of which are real food. So mm -hmm. basically they sell you the closest thing to real food that they have and then they make up money. First off, McDonald's is actually the largest real estate owner in the country, I think. Um, one of them, they, they, they profit, they literally live in terms of like, they own a property underneath McDonald's, then they actually, you know, they, they collect rent. So that's their biggest income. but. You know, the problem is, is this downstream externality of making the meat or the real food, uh, I say meat because there's so many things that go into the processing by the time you get a McDonald's hamburger, it's not quite the same as a, a Horseman Co. Uh, pack of ground beef, but <laughs> the, uh, like, the, pro the downstream externality of that is this missing perception that this is how much food costs. And, you know, th there's another part which is also in line with consumerism where people are told, you know, you should be able to have money to buy whatever it is. You need to buy more stuff. And it's like, people don't want to spend money on their housing and their food, but it's like where you live impacts your sleep and your access to things like natural life, light and normal environment. Mm -hmm. And what you eat is your health. It's like paying doctor food ahead of time. So like, you know, it, it's, it's this weird thing where they, there's this like kind of lies that, oh, you shouldn't have to spend that much money on your food and your shelter. That should just be kind of a given. So that you can go spend your money on, on what? Yep. Either don't work or go spend it on like, purses and cars it's like yeah you know, the, I, i'm driving a 10 year old cars it's probably driving for five more years if it stays it holds up but it's like i spend so much money on my food because that's the most a you put it in your face every single day but it's like that's the most important aspect of what you're going to consume it's i like i i think there's been a huge disservice because people will see this and they think oh i can go get you know how many pounds of ground beef at walmart for this much or i can go and, and even that's a step above just like this fast food thing where you just somehow magically get a burger wrapped in something that's given to you five seconds after you ask for it and it costs two dollars or less and it's like that makes people then go and say oh my god this is 
so expensive. I can't believe farmers markets. I can't believe farmers. And it's like, no, you don't understand. That's how much it costs. And the other end of this is a person who is trying to do something right. And if you both want to support animal husbandry and uh, some responsible ground stewardship and the future of uh, a healthy soil landscape, yeah. that vote starts with your dollar. And you can either pay a dollar to go and continue the synthetic fertilizers and, you know, and capos and very uh, untenable circumstances, or you can pay 15 or 10, 15, $20 and vote for responsible stewarding of the earth. And it's like, that's what I don't think people get is like, you'd rather pay your tax to that, which, you know, it's, I, I feel like the government, if they wanted to incentivize, which blows my mind, <laughs> you, you've seen this with your own eyes. Like you see the very, the change of the stuff. And when you talk to people, look at the soil and it's so important. It is a matter, natural, a matter of national security. The way that the government can easily incentivize that in general is all economics, but if they gave people tax write-offs of buying regeneratively sourced food, you know, that would solve all things that people wouldn't they go and do that. And, you know, it would make it more likely that they would buy those things. And then all of a sudden like, that's getting more business, things are going in. It's like, but they're buying. So a uh, question for you, how much are you involved with the, um, uh, the, the, the processing, like uh, having to find a plant and, and sell, like meaning a butcher, like a place to butcher and to process the animals? Oh, I'm I'm very much involved. I mean, I go and inspect them. Uh, I talk with the processor, have yeah. relationships with them. I'm there. Uh, you know, when I drop off, I do all the cut-up sheets with my customers. Um, you know, questions and yeah, you know, checking in and seeing how it's going and and things like that. So I'm very much involved in that aspect of it. One of the Multiple things I, I remember, yeah. Well, one of the things, sorry, but one of the things I remember um, to the point of where this question is leading is I think it was either ten years ago or twenty years ago, somewhere in the late 1990s. There was somewhere like a thousand USDA plants, but then they kept making more and more regulations and rules about who you can process, and it has to be an official USDA person, like. Once you down, I think there's like less than a hundred or something like that. Like, have you had trouble finding a uh, high quality uh, processor and doing that stuff? Or is it kind of one of those things as a smaller farmer? One of the things I remember uh, just talking to some of the farmers in North Carolina is they uh, had a lot of trouble getting time. They were like, I, we got cows, but we can't get them processed because there's a, you know, a limit on how many it's, do you run in trouble with that? Um, when COVID first came around, I, we did, right? Mm. Um, I got to jump on it. So whenever COVID happened, when was that? 2019, 2020? Yeah. 2020, 2020, 2021. Anyway, I've been making my processing, my bulk of my processing appointments a year in advance. So uh, okay. for the past three years. So like I've, I already have my 2024 dates. Nice. So that I have to project on how my business is going to grow too, right? Mm. And so when, so the plant I'm at now, uh, my main plant is only state inspected. So, okay. to, so that's the main reason I don't ship. I'm working with a USDA inspected plant on snack sticks. Mm. So the shipping on those is coming very soon those are across the country. Phenomenal. I got to say, just as a plug, uh, my girl used to send me uh, a few. She literally, she didn't even know the brand. She goes, what brand is this? This is the best one I've ever had. I, hands down, and I, I didn't, she didn't even know what it was because we've, we've had a bunch of those different variations, and it was just, she absolutely was like, "What is this thing?" Awesome, so. that's good, good to hear. I like to hear that. But so hopefully, the next uh, month, 
we're going to be shipping. I've got my packaging, uh, mm -hmm. just working through Shopify to to get that. Because currently you're talking to the delivery driver of my product. So I go to St. Louis yeah. every Tuesday uh, to deliver, home deliver meat. Um, yeah. So I guess all to say is when you get into these processing plants, uh, whether it be state, all my stuff's inspected, whether it's state or USDA, mm -hmm. the things that the USDA plants have to go through versus the state plant is, I mean, it would make you pull your hair out on the rep. Just too late. Just, yeah, yeah. Just everything that they have to go through is is crazy. But, I mean. Well, to be, to be clear for people, it's not that that makes a better product. It's that these are like the large, there's like Tyson, there's like two or three, maybe four different like very large corporations that own most of the processing of meat. And they continue to ramp up but we have to have this person all the time you have to have this you have to this yeah. and it's like they made it this like it's 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 redundant and futile on purpose because that crowds out the ability for people to have competition in the market it's like a low-level monopoly in some sense so like just the less people misunderstand that it's not pull your hair out for the safety of the customer that is no, not what they're doing no it's just it's just regulations after regulations and you know to to get certain things changed i mean like it took a long time for one to to make ancestral blend mm. right and you know and then when you switch up that it, it requires a whole nother plan to be written so every product i add requires through a usda it requires a new plan a new approved label oh, yeah. um i you know had a cow this is that had a really nice uh, set of horns when i take them to a u.s my state plant you know it's no problem when i take them to the usda plant i gotta sign for them like and sign all, all the paperwork like i had to do three sheets of paperwork just to get uh a cow head back that is going to go to you know whatever thing you already own anyways you yeah. know it's like you yeah. own this thing That'd be like you drop off your car, you get a chair, you know, adjusted at the mechanic. Yeah, look, we need you to sign to get it back. It's like, what? This is mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, like I, I just brought her here or, you know, but whatever. So, the, but yeah, my main focus is keeping it local. So yeah. I was just actually telling the guy on my, that, that stopped in just to see where his food's coming from today. You know, he asked the same thing about processors. I'm like, I use three all within 30 minutes of my farm. One's north, one's south, and one's east. That's awesome um and they're all family owned the one guy my main processor he's uh he's just a few years older than me has a family you know built started it from scratch five years ago mm -hmm. doing great he's he does the best job at packaging i mean hands down but i have to pay more right because he's got good help and to keep good yeah. help you have to pay yeah. You know, so just just alone in my packaging is a two two to two dollars and fifty cents just mm. in that one pound of ground beef. It wow, goes to him. Yeah, the which I so like all right. So just just so people can get a visual. So like you have the pound of ground beef, but let's say a portion of that. I don't know, maybe. 30 to 50%, well, there's your input. A port, if you look at a pound of ground beef, you can cut off like 
how much of it went to the processor, how much it went to the inputs, meaning the feed, the, the chemical, how much went to, uh, are there other areas that you would like, that you share profit with, so to speak? Or the well, it would just be kind of that expense of, of the, the potential of what the animal's worth, right? Mm -hmm. Plus her inputs. So my, you know, inputs would be, my biggest ones are kind of the winter feed cost, um, mineral, and then, well, the, the land it took, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, basically assign her a rental rate of how much she, how long she was, he, she was there. Yeah. And then, you know, then the next one is processing. Well then, you know, for me in my business, right, I have to allocate to marketing and to what it costs on Shopify and what it costs for me to deliver it. And yeah. then, you know, it's vehicles and trucks and insurance, you know, it's basically my whole life has to come. Yeah has to be supported by a pound of ground beef when a pound of ground beef coming off of like a, a food truck to a restaurant is two dollars right and so how can i i'm like i can so i don't i don't even hold a candle to restaurants because two dollars of that pound of ground beef is already packaged yeah because so, then they have their whole thing which they have to pay the waiters and the staff and all this stuff so like it's all a numbers game and so yeah, so but like a pound of ground beef going off a food truck to a restaurant is two dollars out the door, right? It's yeah. two dollars for the one pound of meat. Mine is two dollars just for the the piece of plastic it comes in. Yeah. And then what is I, it? And then to compete, to compete, you know. So it's it's tough. I mean, because because I'm also you know fight not fighting, but I'm also competing with walmart ground beef or a grocery store ground beef so you know the the people that are kind of target or customers of mine you know it's the ones that do are knowledgeable right mm -hmm. they're nutrient dense focus they're regenerative focus they're no antibiotics no added hormones no you know grass-fed grass you know it's grass-fed mm -hmm. grass finished i mean yeah. but it's a consumer that does care about their health and you know i mean it's a our nutrition system is is a mess you know yeah. our doctors and pharmacists they just they don't have an i mean our food pyramids all screwed up for one mm -hmm. right and that's the foundation of of their nutrition yeah it's a messed up food pyramid yeah so, so Ultimately, I think that's the, the value. And I, I think it's, it's so important just like personalizing the experience because when you go and you do this, it's like th there's so much more that goes into to food production than just the lowest cost. If you make food a commodity, the world, like soil suffers. Like when you make it the like, yeah. lowest cost and it's, yeah. it's not good. And we've done that, right? So that's what's going on. And it's a heavy subsidized system through crop insurance mm -hmm. and things like that. So with the way crop insurance is set up, you're basically rewarded for a failed attempt. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's a messed up system, you know, so that would be kind of where all your, your, your grain products come from, right? Your, your corn, your soybeans, wheat, right? Those are your three main things. So that that's a, funded you know majority of those 
systems like if you would pull federal crop insurance away i mean there is they'd be farmers that would i mean it would not work for them yeah and there's guys doing it now without crop insurance i know it's possible one of my best friends uh he's on instagram six generation farmer he i think he goes by six gen farmer okay you know no crop insurance uh he's a crop farmer animal integration doing amazing stuff uh car family farms he actually just joined he's doing awesome stuff um mm. he's up you know sheep on his crop ground mm-hmm. i mean he cody single you know he's an agronomist through the local co-op and uh is getting all them to to utilize uh cover crops and soil health practices which is weird right because by him he's being paid by the co-op so the co-op is basically the farm store right mm-hmm. so they're paying him to essentially sell seed chemicals fertilizer well he values soil health so he's selling them cover crop seed and teaching them about soil health practices well that by doing that he's decreasing that company's chemical and fertilizer sales because the farmers are getting more educated through him mm. he but so then there's other ways right there's the now the co-op mixes cover crop seed now they provide um different methods of seeding those fields or you know drones or aerial you know so there's other ways to do it but you know when you're when the chemical companies and the fertilizer companies are behind it all and the pharmaceutical companies are behind it all that's mm-hmm. when our system gets messed up or that's yeah. why our system is messed up well it seems to be anytime that there's extra lag a tax on the system meaning there's just middlemen that are in a sense uh, mediating where they don't add any value i think that's where you start to get a uh, a level of you know squeezing the burning the candle on both ends and i think that's where the both the consumer and the producer get screwed basically so yeah but yeah is there anything else you uh any any common misconceptions you think people have or anything else you think would be valuable uh, we can wrap up here and let you get i'm sure you've had a long day you actually have real work that you do <laughs> uh what um anything that you you would think would be a value to add or any uh anything else uh you and i will strip the audio for a podcast on this too yeah um i mean the main thing is uh i mean we care right regenerative we care but we you know it all happens with properly grazed animals you know mm-hmm. environment you know carbon sequestration uh you know we need animals on the properly managed animals on the land to you know to work with our environment mm-hmm. you know to make kind of the you know it all function i mean that's yeah. the main thing um and i mean can conventional farmers i mean it's they're doing what they know based off of what the information they receive right so it's just and there's a lack of total information out there so just educating yourself i mean i don't i don't know <laughs> it's yeah, a no, that's beautiful it's a messed up it's it's a messed up system but i don't 
it's not intentional. The farmer wasn't intentionally messing up the system for you. It's the, the big corporations that are whatever greedy, right? That's yeah. well, they, they start to get in and they start to get in lower the price of things. And then everyone starts to like, Oh, well, I should do this and that. And then it's slowly but surely it's like, you know, yeah, it, it and, messed the whole system. And yeah, so that's, you know, farmers are operating in red, you know, but meat packers are not they're yeah. in the black um so it's just a, a very messed up system that the more people get educated on the more people learn about healthy food and you know kind of these regenerative climate smart practices i mean uh yeah so uh, um one thing i do i did want to mention because i was thinking about what you said earlier when you said you go to state processors, this is part of the value of, I, I know it's convenient to shop for, at like a, a large supermarket and get everything while you're there, but one of the, there's two, there's two shifts that I made, um, which is buying your meat in bulk, having a chest freezer is super important because when you buy in, it's not what people are trained. They think, oh, I'm going to go and we're trained, like I'm going to get the stuff from the, the produce and I'm going to get these things that they kind of the perishable and they're, they go every week, go to the superstore and it's convenient to get it all at once. So yeah. the idea when I first started getting it is like, oh, I'm going to get 20 pounds of ground beef or I'm going to get, you know, like uh, I think ButcherBox for a lot of people is that kind of shift. Again, I, that's what I used a long time. I'm still using the supplement, but as I, my goal is always to get plugged in with things. Yeah. Um, and so as I moved over, like, you know, getting in touch with Jake and things like that, you connect with those pieces. But buying your meat in bulk is such a smart thing because, A, you're going to get the best price on it. But, B, you're able to you're able to source intentionally, meaning you can go and say, well, I'm going to go to the farmer's market. And so then you can have to plug in the stuff because you look at things like USDA organic, just because it doesn't have that label doesn't mean it's not organic. It's just that there's so much money that farmers have to put into to get that fancy label a lot of this even even regenerative to a certain degree is anytime a corporation catches on that there's a money to be made by taking a label they're going to bastardize that so you have to understand like the best the really the only way you can know is if you go up and meet the farmer talk to yourself which is why farmers markets are so valuable or like just because then the cost of getting to a national brand distributor some farmers will do that. Like there's very few white pasture seems to be one There's a handful of them, but most often there's going to be a handful of farmers in the area, generally at farmer's markets that you can go find or like Jake steaks where you can get connected to like a web of these kind of things. But like having a chest freezer and then understanding that the best quality food you're going to get is almost always going to come from a local source or somebody, but you can be intentional about going driving three hours and getting a bunch of meat and then those because mm -hmm. you're like you're a real person you are a real person that has a real engagement and you really can connect to people as opposed to just some you know brand at walmart so th those two things i really want to say is like it's a shift for people to think about but it makes a huge difference yeah i reward buying in bulk i mean it makes my life easier i mean but yeah it's a mindset right that's uh kind of growing up in the supermarket era right most of them are right down the road you can run and grab the stuff for a meal and i i run into a lot of that when I, you know, with new customers, right, is I'll have a customer for every, you know, they'll order just a, enough for the week, right? And then it charges a delivery fee. And unless I get to that customer and have the meeting with the customer currently, I, I deliver uh, just in, in bags and coolers. And then it's your on the customer to leave the cooler out, right? And I put it in the put it in the cooler for them. So pretty low, you know, 
usage of packaging and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But unless I get to that customer and say, hey, you know, you you know, if you buy in bulk, you you one save on the delivery fee, mm -hmm. but two, I offer price breaks. Right. Yeah. It's just getting past that mindset, you know, they'll pay fifteen or twenty bucks in delivery fees for you know, that's eighty bucks in a month just in delivery fees while I deliver for free at a at a hundred and fifty. Yeah. So it doesn't take you know, and if they're ordering eighty bucks and meet them, oh, you know, it, it doesn't take long to get to yeah. that one fifty and free delivery. Absolutely. And that's one of those the more because there's these um you know HelloFresh and all these kind of delivery services, the more convenience you have, the more waste you have as well. Even though, like I remember, I was I went to the farmers market and the guy this is back in North Carolina. He hooked me. I was like, "Do you have any testicle?" And so I I had a great hookup there. And because like they were not allowed to process them at most of the plants, they were most processors won't plant them. But that's all my plants won't mess with. Yeah, which is so strange, and I don't understand why. But um, anyway, he's like, "Hey, if you show up, what is it? Do you know why?" I don't. It just requires another plan, another safe handling. It, and so that all costs money and time. Yeah. Right. And if I'm the only guy offering that for maybe to do one or two a year for testicles, I mean, they just the the headache of keeping and maintaining all that and labels and stuff like that. They just don't don't yeah. mess with it. But he, uh, so my guy was like, hey, well, you know, we, we get them. We just aren't supposed to sell them or anything. So he literally showed up with a, uh, it was like a Ziploc bag full of bull testicles. And I was like, there you go. But the less convenient it is, because I had to go meet him in person. It was like I had to range and just, the less convenient it is, the the more, the, the uh, like the less waste there is in a sense. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, being able it's convenient. So like, oh, you can have Amazon chip overnight to your door. It's like, where do you think that costs? Yeah. That costs somewhere. And it's not a healthy, that's not long term. So I understand there's always a trade off for convenience and, and, uh, and waste in a sense. And so like, you're spending your staff, like, there's just so much you could do that even Jake shows up in a van and coolers and a bunch of meat and drops it off in the fridge. It's inconvenient for the amount of things you have to do relative to like a one click shop, but it gives the best experience and it's the, yeah. the you know, there's, there's, there's other, there are other things to consider when you're making food choices, but yeah, you know. Yeah. And it's, I mean, don't, if you've had a bad experience, I mean, you just got to find the right farmer for you. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not the right farmer for people and, but I don't know. People, <laughs> I don't, well, yeah. well, I hope to be the right one for everybody someday, but I, I mean, that's what I'm working towards. It's, I'm telling you, if, so if you want to get like though if you're listening to this and you want to get plugged in i'll put the link to jake who jake is kind of like the national delivery ecosystem right now um so you can kind of get in contact with that uh but if obviously if you're in missouri or local then you know if you're in a yeah, just, hour radius this is you know august is there go visit yeah, let me know and if i'm not delivering you know just send me a dm and i mean i'll figure out how to if you're in missouri i'll figure out how to get it to you yeah that's the beauty of it. When you have real people that are really interested in making sure that the uh, thing gets done right, there's a lot of fun that can be had. So um, I'll put all the contact information in the show notes below, but uh, any, any closing thoughts? No. Just anything else you want to say? I, I appreciate it. I mean, I, I really find what you do fascinating. I, I watch and learn. I mean, I'm not, uh, I don't work out. <laughs> you work though. That's the difference. You don't need to work out. You actually have a real job. But like, what you talk about i mean it it makes sense i mean i've you know i i i don't know i try to implement stuff where i can
Uh, well, so, no, I appreciate to... I appreciate your time. I mean, thanks for, for talking sure. to me. I'm just uh, you know just a guy that has a few cows in Missouri. You so that's arguably pretty cool. are the most important. You, you farmers are arguably the most important people in the country in terms of like when shit hits the fan. Like who do you like? Oh, well, by the way, you have land. Like just think about it. Think about it. Just you know, China attacks something, and then we lock down. Okay, guess what? The energy grid's going off. Well, who has food? Who has access to this stuff? Who has healthy land? Because guess what? All the farmers that just do it conventionally, they don't have access to the minerals and the uh, the artificial uh, from what do you call it? New, um, no nitrogen and phosphate. Yeah, yeah. They, they got well, maybe one or two years. You know, you're a hundred. You're hundred percent right. Right when COVID happened and. You know, a lot of our fertilizer that comes is made overseas, right? That yeah. shut down. I mean, our biggest pork producer, Smithfield, right? You Have you heard of yeah, Smithfield? Chinese, Chinese owned. Really? I did not yep. know that. Yep. Uh, the biggest Packers, the Bautista brothers that own the biggest Packers in uh, the United States, Brazilian. I mean, really? Yeah. So, I mean, our we have a we think our food is secure it is not it's about as secure as texas's energy system but that's yeah. kind of thing it's like you are easily you know the things will flip. it's a yeah i don't know this is the last uh, party question but did you ever watch that movie triangle of sadness no i haven't i don't know it's it's such a, a weird niche movie but the point is that like there it starts off as a table's turn kind of thing where it's like the poor people are totally getting shit on by these like ultra wealthy people and then there's a, a shipwreck and a crash, and all of a sudden, they, all these ultra-wealthy people have, A, no access to their money. They're on a stranded island, and they have no skills. And the one person who flips around and starts to run the show is a woman who knows how to fish, knows how to cook, and knows how to do this stuff. But she was, like, the, the servant who hardly spoke broken English, and they all just, like, were very rude to her at the beginning. And so that's the ironic thing is, like, if you're not careful with your farmer, don't remember that shit. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. things inevitably, you you know, we're very, society is very fragile, and some civilized society is very fragile. And the people who have healthy land that can sustain things and know how to do this stuff, yeah. be nice oh. to those people. You, you want to have friendships because friendships with farmers is the best insurance you could have for uh, problems. Yep. And COVID, man, that happened. And who, guess who was out on the road making deliveries? I was. Yep. There you go. <laughs> awesome. So I was going to get you the food. <laughs> so I love it. Appreciate well, thank your you time. So much, awesome. Thank you. Appreciate you. Uh, yep. We'll see you. Uh, talk soon.